2: Hello, and welcome to episode number 12 of The Music Plays the Band. I'm your host, Rob Koritz of the Dark Star Orchestra. I'm really glad you're joining me today, and I hope you are safe and well. It's so great to be back with you today, and it is so great to be back on the road and playing music. Uh, So far, we've done gigs in Alabama, Tennessee, and New Jersey, and we're heading out to California this weekend. And I, I can't tell you what a great feeling it is to be playing this wonderful music again. And seeing the joy in the people who are able to get back out there and celebrate the Grateful Dead. The setting's a little different with the pods and the drive-ins and everything, but it still just feels good to be out there. Joining me today is Anders Beck of Green Sky Bluegrass. Anders got turned on to the Dead in his teens, and they've definitely been a defining influence in his career. Also with me today is Andy Coe of the Andy Coe Band to tell us about the goings-on in the Seattle Dead community. Before we get going, I am excited to tell you that we now have our own dedicated website up and running, www.themusicplaystheband.net. This is your one-stop shop for all the info about the podcast, including sneak previews of upcoming episodes, links to all of my guests and their projects, info about our sponsors, ways to support the podcast, what's going on in the Dark Star Orchestra world, and much, much more. So please check it out today www.themusicplaystheband.net The Black Music Moment is brought to you by The Clean Store, brandingandapparel.com for all your branding and apparel needs. Technology-driven solutions and concierge service for managing programs of all sizes. The black music moment is our attempt at chronicling the profound influence of black music and musicians on the Grateful Dead. Today, we honor the Dixie Cups. The Dixie Cups originally consisted of sisters Barbara and Rosa Hawkins with their cousin Joan Johnson. They first began singing together in grade school and were pursuing a singing career in their native New Orleans when they were discovered and brought to the songwriting team of Lieber and Stoller at New York's famed Brill Building. They started a label, Redbird Records, specifically for the Dixie Cups, and they hit the top of the charts in 1964 with the Phil Spector-penned Chapel of Love. Now, this song knocked the Beatles' Love Me Do out of the top spot and became the first American group to quote-unquote take back the charts from the British invasion. Chapel of Love sold over one million copies and is included in Rolling Stone magazine's 500 greatest songs of all time. They had some more hits, including People Say and Little Bell, But their biggest hit besides Chapel was what we will hear today, uh, Aiko Aiko. Aiko was their fifth and final hit, and the group languished, jumping from label to label, but were never able to equal their early success. Johnson left the group, and they returned to New Orleans. The Hawkins sisters both began successful modeling careers, but continued to perform and still do today, with the third member being Althegra Neville, sister of the legendary Neville Brothers. Ico Ico is a song that tells of a parade collision between two tribes of Mardi Gras Indians. It was originally written and released as Giacomo in 1953 by James Sugarboy Crawford, but failed to make the charts. The Dixie Cups made it a well-known tune that went on to be recorded by New Orleans legends including Dr. John and the Neville Brothers. The Dead debuted I go on May fifteenth, 1977, right here in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm a little too young, so I wasn't at the show, but uh, the tapes are great. When they first introduced it, it was played coming out of drums, and it kind of had this slower, greasy, New Orleans second-line feel to it. As time went on, the tempo picked up, and it kind of grabbed more of the Calypso feel, similar to Women Are Smarter. It became a staple of the repertoire and was played all over the set list, but I thought it especially worked well as a really good, fun, feel-good show opener. So here's the Dixie Cups and their 1965 hit version of Ico Ico. My flag boy
3: and your flag boy sitting by the fire My flag boy, to your flag boy I'm gonna set your flag on fire Talking about Hina, Hina, Hina Aiko, Aiko, one day Jagamofino, anane Jagamofino, anane See that guy all dressed in green Aiko, Aiko, one day He's not not a man, he's a loving machine Jagamofino, anane Talking about Hina, Hina, Hina Waiko one day oh. Jagamolfino Anane Shagamofinale Talking about henna Hinna Henna he Iko Waiko One day oh. Ande O Anane Shagamofina Ande
2: The SMS Breakdown with Brad Sarno is brought to you by Sarno Music Solutions, producing the finest musical instrument audio gear, designed and hand-built here in St. Louis, Missouri since 2003, and Blue Jade Audio Mastering, St. Louis' primary audio mastering service since 1999. So today Brad and I continue our talk about sound engineer Dan Healy. You know, Dan was such a groundbreaker in the world of sound reinforcement and such a vital part of the dead sound that Brad and I went on for a long, long time on this one. So I chopped this one into three different segments that were spreading out over three different episodes. You know, there is so much to learn about and from Dan Healy that we really wanted to give him his due. So we're going to jump right back in here with part two of my conversation with Brad Sino. I I read a crazy story. I I never asked Dan this because I didn't know at the time. I read a story recently when I was looking up some stuff. That he had a weather station at the soundboard, and according for outdoor shows and whatnot, even indoor shows I think, and he would use. I don't know if you know if this is true, and he would change his EQ and stuff in relation to temperature and humidity changes in the room or outdoors. You know anything about that?
4: Uh, I know a little about that. It's true. He, uh, he <laughs> with wind was an issue, but humidity is a big issue with you know sound and frequency um, and how it behaves. And uh, yeah, he would monitor all that stuff. It got pretty cool by the mid late eighties, uh, his technology with, uh, the guys at Meyer, um, and just the, the way they would analyze the room and control the sound, uh, even as, uh, the temperature changed f- from body heat
2: from, bo- from people coming in the door. That's crazy. That were, they, were they the only people who do stuff like that with the, with the weather or, or is that, is that standard now? Do you know?
4: I don't know if it's standard. I, I would guess they were sort of the, probably the first to to care enough (laughs) and to obsess on, on the perfection, but like that. And I would guess that there are probably others that might've adopted that tech. I don't know.
2: Crazy. That's,
4: that's taken it above
2: and beyond, but like you, like you mentioned earlier, they wanted it to be the best and always worked to make it better. Even, you know, for lack of a better term, geeky little minutiae like that makes a difference.
4: It does. It all adds up.
2: Tell me, uh, tell us, tell the people uh, a little bit about Healy's mixing philosophy, because that is a huge part of the sound of the Grateful Dead.
4: Well, I got to hang with Dan a bit. And some of that was when he was on the road with you guys. Um, and the, one of the things he really liked to push was about equalization and EQ. And everybody who mixes is familiar with EQing. But Dan said, avoid EQ as much as possible because EQ introduces phase distortion. And, um, while you might be addressing some frequencies you don't want, you're introducing something harmful and, uh, might not in the end, you might not benefit from it. So he was all about spending a lot of time picking the right mic and positioning it perfectly so that you wouldn't have to EQ at the board. Um, and he would EQ, but just barely and only if he had to, but he did everything he could to resist it. And there is... There is really something to that. Just such a pure, clean, clear quality you get out of that. It makes mixing a little easier when it's right. Um, now, the one, it's uh, there's a caveat to that. Um, there's an aspect of EQ called high pass filtering, which is um, you select a frequency and it basically dumps everything below that. It like it would dump all the unwanted, non musical bass below. The frequency you choose so dan was he would use a high pass filter on everything but he would avoid eq as well so he would if you notice at a dead show the low end was so clear there was no mud There, there were no instruments there were no plosives from the vocals creating thumps um Uh, the organ, the piano, everything was tight and clean and the stuff down low was really defined. The kick drums were tight. The bass guitar notes had all that territory to itself. So you could really feel the pitch of a bass guitar note in your belly. Um, It was just so clean that way. Um, And as far as you said, mix philosophy, I I recall talk about how really trusting the band was central. You You get a mix and you let the band control their dynamics. And If, if while mixing, you notice that there's a guy on stage who's really onto something cool while the others are sort of exploring, um, he might emphasize that in the mix might nudge it up a little bit to give it some energy, um, and kind of supporting that the person who in any given moment might be having a little more of a creative spark and that would help feed the energy and feed the audience. And that feedback loop would feed the rest of the band, and it's, so it was sort of a musical way the sound uh, mix engineer could participate. Uh, but a lot of it really was hands-off and minimalist and, about purity and trusting the band, letting them control their dynamics up and down.
2: Right on. Well, we're going to finish up our talk about Healy with one more segment next week. But I want to thank you for being here, as always, my friend.
4: All right. Good talking to you, Rob. Take care.
2: So we still have one more short segment from this conversation for you next week where we talk a little bit more about Dan's mix philosophy and how he was really a a part of the band in the concert setting. Today's edition of There is a Grateful Dead cover band in every town is brought to you by the Authenticity Academy, offering you online courses and private coaching. If you're feeling stuck or confused about the direction your life is going in or you've lost touch with your authentic self, the Authenticity Academy is here to help www.authenticity.coach So today we're heading out to the Pacific Northwest, uh, Seattle, Washington specifically, uh, to talk to Andy Coe of the Andy Coe Band. Uh, Andy has a ton of projects he's involved in, but his love of the dead keeps this one near and dear to his heart. Okay, good day. I am back here today with Andy Coe from Seattle, Washington, the Andy Coe Band. How are you, sir?
1: Doing great. Thanks, Rob.
2: My, my pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to be here today. Um, the Andy Coband, Band, obviously, it's your project. Uh, can yeah. you tell me a little bit about it, when it formed, the uh, history?
1: So it kind of started out of an old band I had called In La Cache. And uh, that was in the early 2000s. And my brother and myself had always dreamed of doing a Jerry Garcia celebration. So eventually, I moved back to Seattle and uh, started that in 2005 with In Lakesh, my band, and we did that for a few years and uh, ended up at a certain point, kind of inter- changing out a few members and getting some new guys in who were more full on into the dead and really wanted to do that kind of thing, and uh, and that's when the Andy Coe band started for because I didn't have any other idea of what to call it since it was kind of interchanging members at the time. And, uh, and at that point we were just doing an annual uh, Jerry Garcia celebration. And uh, at that point it was probably about 2008. And, uh, and that lineup had two drummers, which lasted about another four or five years until we uh, moved it down to just one drummer. The other drummer got a, got an awesome teaching gig and had kids and, didn't have time as we were starting to do more stuff at that point.
2: You don't need two drummers anyway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was really fun, I'll tell you. And those guys had played together since like high school, kind of college, so they really had a sweet connection. And it worked real well for the music, obviously. But so
2: so now you're one drummer and what's what's the rest of the instrumentation?
1: Uh so drums, keys, bass, guitar, quartet. We quartet, all sang. just one guitar player. Just yeah. you. Yeah,
2: but how does that work for you, as far as trying to play rhythm or just being a sing- single guitar player in a music that really, really lends itself to two guitars?
1: Yep, yep. Well, you know, I gotta, I grab, try to grab all the Jerry parts because they're pretty essential, and a, uh, a lot of times I'll kind of do my own version of combining Bobby and Jerry stuff together, and uh, kind of take, take stuff from both of them. That's a tall
2: it. order trying to play that music as one guitar player. That's a tall order. You know
1: it is and we kind of do it our own way and uh, especially when it gets to the improv sections and uh, and take it from there. And the keyboardist kind of covers some of that essential stuff when there's you know some some cross lines going on.
2: let's uh, let's let's jump to that. So <clears throat> excuse me. With one guitar, you kind of started to touch on it. So can you take me a little further in your approach? as far as interpreting and performing it, you know, we talked about it as you personally, the way you have to do two guitars, but as a band.
1: Yeah. So we kind of, I guess we have a lot of different approaches, but um, essentially we try to try to, you know, to me the way I like to play and the way I hear their music, there's, there's certain things that kind of have to happen in my mind as far as, you know, hitting the correct, Chord changes, little you know, time sanctor things, bars of two here and there, or uh, you know, particular riffs. To me, those have to be <laughs> right on the money, as close as we can get them, you know, for me to feel good about it. But uh, besides that, we kind of, especially in the improv sections, we really stretch out and kind of take it wherever we're feeling. You know, we're not trying to to recreate this music necessarily. We're trying to. Kind of take the feeling that it gives us and and uh, expand upon that in our own way. Really. Having the
2: having the keyboard player be a little more prevalent because there's only one guitar. Does that lend itself to maybe taking it into more of a jazz direction sometimes uh, in your jams?
1: Um, yeah, for sure. And I, you know, in the dead it was mostly Jerry doing the leads, but in our band, you know, I mean, I still do a lot a lot of the lead stuff, but uh, but our keyboardist Gary does. You know, I he takes tons of solos too and we do, you know, jams where we all kind of solo improvise together and follow each other and really get into that kind of vibe. But but we are me and the keyboardist especially are pretty jazz trained. We met at North Texas. We oh, went to North but Texas even, right on. Yeah.
2: Are you guys back out playing now?
1: No, there's not really much live live stuff going on in seattle yet um we've done a few streams along the way and uh we're looking forward to getting back into it i'm sure you're i saw some stuff uh multi-screen i saw some like
2: it was almost like you guys were doing it by zoom but you've done some online playing together am i right
1: yeah yeah i had a kind of a solo live stream every monday night thing going on throughout pretty like most of the pandemic since it started um we had a regular Monday night residency at the blue moon in Seattle for the last seven or eight years or so. So I kind of tried to keep that rolling and, uh, and end up being really fun. And so I do kind of collab videos where everyone would, you know, I'd pick a song and record it, send them a a click track and they'd record their parts. And then I'd mix them and uh, edit a video together and then present that on the live stream where I'd be playing, my part and singing my part live and uh, all their parts are pre-recorded. So that's what those videos are. That's cool. So it's kind of a cool way to keep the live vibe going for the sure, people. Yeah. Um
2: pre-pandemic and hopefully post-pandemic, how often would you all be playing on a normal in normal times?
1: Oh, it kind of depends because I play in a lot of bands. Uh probably too many, but <laughs> but uh, I like to play lots of different kinds of music. Do you guys stick just to
2: Seattle or do you head out around the Pacific Northwest?
1: Uh, Mainly the Northwest, Washington, Oregon. Uh, We generally go down to California two or three times a year. And the furthest East we've made it is Colorado so far. So, uh, so generally back to your question, we do our weekly Monday night gig and then, It just depends. Sometimes we'll play seven nights a week if, you know, there's gigs coming, but at least once a week. (laughs) Right on, man. Yeah.
2: I watched a bunch of video of you guys. I was checking it out. And first of all, it's really, really good. And you guys tackle some of the harder, lesser played stuff for sure. I saw the very first video I saw of you guys was the Terrapin suite with acoustic guitar and upright bass. Yeah. Nobody plays that shit, man.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's fun stuff. We like to challenge ourselves and keep kind of trying to learn new stuff. And and especially the more complicated stuff is really fun to tackle and do our best to, to get together. I, I was thinking about, you know, we've done that a couple of times. We started playing it.
2: And I was thinking about, God, we could play that. And then I'm like, you know what? We haven't hardly played in a year. There's no way in hell we could play that right now. We, didn't, we weren't that good at it when we first were doing it a year ago, you know? <laughs> that, that's yeah, a, that's a hard piece it. of music. Um, what, what What is some, yeah. some of the other more challenging stuff that you guys tackle?
1: Uh, Weather Report Suite is a fun one. You know, even like Box of Rain has been, that was a piece of work to get together, and we're still trying to get it together. <laughs>
2: because, excuse me, because of the harmonies?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. And the ever-changing chord progressions. The Terrapin Suite was really cool, especially with the upright bass. I really dug that. Yeah, man, it's, it's a real sweet sound. when He starts bowing, and it's beautiful.
2: Very, very cool. Tell me a little bit um, about your community out there. You said you have a Monday night residency. Um, tell me a little bit. I mean, obviously, we come to yeah. Seattle, and it's a great town for us, always has been. But tell me a little bit about your community out there, the Grateful
1: Dead world. Man, it, uh, never ceases to amaze me and has just kind of continued to expand, you know, since 2005 when I really started, uh, playing Grateful Dead out in the public, you know, and, uh, it's just incredible. You know, we see the same people have been coming for 15 years and, uh, you know, we've made so many great friends. The community is, I mean, I'm sure like everywhere because we're everywhere, but, uh, it's really just never it always impresses me and everyone's incredible it's it's a beautiful thing and every monday we play monday night you know you'd think it'd be the worst night of the week but you know everyone shows up and it's packed every week and it's just a blast
2: (laughs) i'm gonna uh ask you the same question i ask every one of you in this segment when we get to this point what is it about this music that's creating that subculture in your mind what 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 is it that's doing this
1: Oh, I think there's a lot of stuff, but, uh, but kind of what I was just talking about, the the whole community vibe of the whole thing, like is, is such a profound and important, you know, element to all this. I feel that, you know, most, I don't think I've never seen another, another group achieve it in this way. Um, it's, uh, it's the best man. It is, man. It's incredible.
2: Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here with me. Before I let you go, um, you have a website or a clearinghouse where we can see all the different projects you got going on, People let people know about you?
1: Uh, generally, I think it's down right now, but uh, it should be back up pretty soon. But uh, www.andycoban.com. It is down by the I checked. The yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then my my website's just andyco.org. Andyco.org. It yeah, should be back up pretty soon
2: excellent man well thank you again for taking the time hopefully we will get back out west one of these days soon and we can meet in person and uh, maybe make some music together man
1: that'd be amazing rob thanks so much and i look forward to those days. all
2: right my pleasure man that's andy Coe from the andy Cob band out of seattle washington take care take care rob Thanks. all right i want to thank andy for taking the time to share a little bit about what he does and what's going on up in the seattle scene Uh, as i mentioned earlier our website is up and running now it's www.themusicplaystheband.net and you can get all kinds of info about the podcast including links to help you offer your support we have our patreon subscription where you have access to all kinds of exclusive bonus content and there's also an opportunity to support the podcast with a one-time contribution you can find out about both of these plus get links to all of my guests and their projects info about our sponsors Uh, what's going on with Dark Star Orchestra, and much more when you visit www.themusicplaystheband.net. Very excited to have a new website for you all to check out. Our feature conversation is brought to you by Grateful Sweats. On Shakedown or online, Grateful Sweats is your first stop for subtle dead designs. Check them out at etsy.com slash shop slash Grateful Sweats and see for yourself. Designs only other heads will get. When you're wearing the state of Tennessee with jet in it and someone says nice shirt, you know they're on the bus. A subtle dead cat makes its point as well, and no one does sweats like Grateful Sweats. Hoodies, sweatpants, joggers, tees, and much, much more. Subtle dead designs at etsy.com slash shop slash Grateful Sweats. My featured guest today is Anders Beck, Dobro player from Green Sky Bluegrass. Anders is a full-on deadhead since he was a teenager and they still influence him in his career in many, many ways today. Uh, he started out as a guitarist, but he switched to dobro uh, a while back, which isn't really a instrument that equates with the Grateful Dead's uh, instrumentation, not really part of it, but I found it really interesting to hear how the Dead and Jerry could still have such an influence uh, on him as a musician, even though he's moved to, on to that non-traditional instrument. Alright, so I am here today with Anders Beck from Green Sky Bluegrass. How are you, my friend? Very well. How are you? I'm doing great. I want to thank you. First of all, really nice to meet you. I don't think we've ever met. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here with me and, and take some time. It's uh, my pleasure. You know, uh,
0: when this came up, you know, the email went to the band. and It's like, who wants to talk about the Grateful Dead? <laughs> like, me? Absolutely. You know, like, it was really funny because I was like, I would love, That's I'm in. It was either me or Dave. And we were both like,
2: hell yeah. Right on. <laughs> Oh, so soon I, you should get him. <laughs> <laughs> That's sweet. I appreciate it. So you are down in Nashville and how you been spending this time. We've been home. We haven't been able to do much. What have you been doing with, how's your pandemic?
0: Um, uh Pretty pandemable. I mean, I, uh I moved down here. Basically at the start of quarantine. Uh, my girlfriend is here. And so I moved to her and then we ended up buying this house like this. It's like a, farm like a five acre farm and it's like kind of the an amazing place to spend a quarantine um and so we've been working on that a lot and like it's it's been weird and strange and sucked and like but at the same time like we kind of needed an excuse to not play music for a little bit yeah. um y'all you, t- you took it to the studio for a while while you've been on pandemic yeah yeah we spent a bunch of time in the studio um couple different sessions we um we were in Vermont for at this cool studio uh called Guilford in Vermont um for like two weeks right at the start and um that was like real serious like quarantine time and they basically gave us the keys nice. <laughs> like we um we we use our own engineer and so we brought him there he kind of picked the studio and like they were like everyone was so freaked out about covid that they were like here you go it's yours <laughs> it was really wow um and then we also record at echo mountain in asheville north carolina we, we we've done the last couple records there and um so we, we've done a couple you know two week stints there as well and we just love that place it feels like home but well, yeah we're making making music you know it's um it's kind of the best thing we can do
2: you grew up in philly right yes sir tell me a little bit tell us them the people out there the royal bus. Can you, a little bit about your musical upbringing. What were you listening to? Who were your first big influences? When did you start playing? Um, it's a so lot of I, questions at once. I know.
0: I mean, they're the right questions. <laughs> I grew up in suburbia, Philly, Villanova, Pennsylvania. Um, and, uh, you know, my older brothers listened to like good music on the way to school. Like, uh, Genesis, the
2: cars, um, uh, the hooters a philly band i love the hooters man i did seriously you, philly you, you, is are you from philly no i'm from st louis missouri but when i was in high school i had the cassette really yeah i swear to god yes
0: so um so like you know my brother my brother were into good music and um and then i somehow stumbled upon like i started playing well i first started playing drums um and i was taking lessons and uh I, so I was taking drum lessons uh, for a while when I was like probably 10 through 13 or something. Um, And there was guitar lessons sort of in the room next door at the place where they were teaching. It was a Harkham community college. Chet was the name of the guy. Uh, I want to go find him at some point. Uh, But so I started playing guitar and drums. And um, I remember one time, Uh, my parents got me a drum set like god bless them right Uh, and I I remember my friend my friend came over and I was like hey do you know what song this is and I was like and he goes man that's every song right?" and I was like oh damn and I just from there it was just guitar (laughs) I was like (laughs) uh, like I'll never forget that Um, and I started playing (laughs) no offense
2: (laughs) none taken that's good (laughs)
0: <laughs> I started playing guitar more um and you know for somehow like the Grateful Dead just <laughs> popped into my world like it was friends in school or like older brother older brother's friends and like um yeah it's, it's just like something about playing guitar and hearing that music like the melodic nature of that band um just got me man like and so I, I just kept playing. I just kept playing those songs, and I found a book recently. Like, it's the old, um, the book where my teacher was like writing down songs. It was like tabbed out Saint Stephen and stuff. <laughs> like, you know, I'm like a 14 year old kid trying to learn Saint Stephen, <laughs> and like.
2: So you you heard it when you were that young? When you were 14 years old, when you first got turned on?
0: Yeah. So I and my parents, uh, my parents, uh, my first like living on the East Coast like that. Um, my the first show I went to. In the Dead World was uh Jerry Band at the Spectrum in ninety three. Saw Jerry Band before I saw The Dead. Wow. And it was weird. And I was like it was it was really it was weird. I was like a young kid and ended up it was too high and like you know, it's like saw my brothers like friends and was like Oh uh, yeah, anyway, it was weird. But so Jerry Band that was when Jerry Band was playing the same size venues as The Dead. You know right. little, and and so I saw Jerry band before the dead. And then a couple of months later, I saw um, like three nights of the, of the dead, the real dead at the spectrum. Um, and my, it was there were, it was a uh, school nights. Like it was a uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday or something. And I was like in like ninth, eighth, ninth grade. I don't remember. And like my, I convinced my parents that I needed to go see every night of those shows because as a, as a musician, as a budding musician, I convinced them that every each show was unique and they were really important and anything could happen at any given night and bless them. I guess I live in the South now, bless their heart. <laughs> like, um, But like, they let me go to three nights in a row. And it was like, literally, I mean, it was like almost famous. Like my mom drops me off of the Rocky statue and she's like, don't do drugs. <laughs> like It was like really like that. Um, but, I, but I convinced them that I, I needed to go see every, The three nights in a row because it was musically important and anything could happen, and to this day, I I thank my parents for that. I also laugh at them (laughs) like, Are you fucking nuts? Yeah, right, (laughs) yeah. And it was like, and yeah, right. And I I saw one of my teachers there, it's like, (laughs) and she's like, You in here, and I was like, Well, I like this music. And she was like, She was like, Trolling in a dress, and (laughs) I fell in love love with that. My teacher, right then, but (laughs)
2: my students saw me, and
0: and so. you know, but I was like, I gave a shit about the band at that age. It was probably like 15, 14, 15, 16. I don't know. And like, there was, I remember there was one night, like I'd listened to enough of the band that like, there's one night um, when the second set was like, it was Scarlet Fire playing Dark Star Terrapin. And that was the start of the second set. And like, I knew enough to know that like that, like it just hit, you know, It's like, <laughs> that's the, that's the tapes I was listening to from 70, whatever. Right. You know? Scarlet fire playing dark star terrible. And I was like, and I'm looking around and being like, man, this is like, this is,
2: it's this one of those epic set lists right there, man.
0: And they, it's the thing about the dead in that era, in my mind is like, you, you saw portions of great music, you know, like, and <laughs> I almost don't. So, and and there was drums in space, and then after drums in space was easy answers, and I was like, "God damn!" (laughs) (laughs) That being said, like that that portion of Grateful Dead music was like everything I've ever wanted to hear, and I was a kid, and it like kicked my ass.
2: So, does that make so you're just getting started? You're fairly new at the instrument. So, does that make Garcia one of your first big influences on guitar?
0: Oh hell yeah! I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, right from the right from the start. I mean. It was like, you know, the way I was taught guitar was like, pick songs you want to learn. And then my, this guy Chet would teach me the songs and then explain to me what I could learn from the songs. And so it was like, you know, it was, I was all over the place. I'm like, cool. Like sunshine of your love or like um, grapefruit, juicy fruit. Like like it it was all over the place, but then, he would teach me this stuff and like, you know, it was pretty, I remember like he would, when I would play him certain dead songs and be like, I want to learn this. He would like unpack this, these songs and like teach me this stuff and be like, okay, the reason that this is cool is because of the way this moves and like, you know, GC and D work in because of this. However, you know, Jerry, Jerry puts the F in there and he's like this scale, he's playing these notes because, um, you know, mix Lydian stuff makes sense, and that's like why it all twists in a certain way. Right. And, like,
2: it was really cool. Um, you're but, getting deep into it, really deep into it, early on there with what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I didn't know. I mean, it was like it wasn't like good at guitar. I was like, I, I was, you know, I was just learning stuff. I was just trying to get laid playing guitar, you know. <laughs> but, but you know that yeah, the, and so I started going to see Dead shows, man. Like living in Philly. You go. You go see. You go to Philly. You go to DC, and so I would go see some shows. You know, like um, go to RFK, go to JFK, whatever they you know, and like. And like, I could see a fair amount of shows because I was on the East Coast and I was a kid. But like, like I said, some of my, my parents, like they, they believed in it because I was into the music. Like, of course, I was going to party, but like. But they like I. They knew that the reason I wanted to see all these shows is because anything could happen,
2: and like, right. <clears throat> you know, it's very cool parents, man, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's a huge part of have you know having parents who are supportive of a musical career. I did too. I couldn't have done this without them being cool and letting me do what I wanted to do and play music. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. It's weird to think about because
0: like, <laughs> like you, you look back on it, and you are like mom, that was a terrible idea. Like, why'd you let me go to so many Grateful (laughs) Dead shows? And that that music just like, it just affected me. Like I I had friends that like, you know, we're trading tape. We're all trading tapes and checking out shit. And like, you know, like that just, it just got me. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to put
2: in words. (laughs) Were you getting to, as you're learning all this and you're learning as, you know, how to do it in lessons and practicing and all that, you're still in high school. Are you playing in bands at the same time? Yeah. I had a little garage band. Um, You're playing dead tunes. Yeah. We were like,
0: I found, you know, I found a tape recently and I'm, well, first of all, I don't know how to listen to a tape, but, um, but with that being said, I found a tape and it's, the set list is like, uh, it's like scarlet fire into fire, like Jimi Hendrix fire and like right. fish jams and like all this stuff. And I'm so afraid to listen to that tape. Cause what if, what if I'm not, what if I'm no better? <laughs> and I, like, like, what, like, what if, what if I listen to my girl, like my, my basement guitar playing self and like, I'm playing the same shit that I'm playing in green sky. I'm so afraid.
2: <laughs> I'll tell you what, man, I've gone back and listened to like albums from original bands I was in 25 years ago and listened to my play and go, I don't even think I can do that anymore. Yeah. Great. Like, oh, what an embarrassment! I, I hear you, man. It's funny. Um, you so after after high school, you know, you join. I know you joined Green Sky in 2007. But what are you doing before that? Um, so I uh, went
0: to school in Colorado, Colorado College in Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. I um had a, found some friends that had a little jam band there. That was pretty cool. It's called Boo I haven't thought of that the name of that band in probably 15 years. So say, thank, thank you for this. Like <laughs> uh, um, and you know, and so I played music and then I ended up, um, moving to what? Well, well, I moved to British Columbia for a winter to be a ski bum, which was fun. And then I moved to Durango, Colorado. Um, and that's where I met a bunch of like-minded individuals. And so I started kind of getting into the bluegrass world. Um, And it was sort of like, you know, because of old in the way somehow, like, just kind of went, it was like, this is music that we can play, like, you know, acoustic guitar music that you can play on a porch. Right. It's, and like, we, we all got into it and, and those people turned out to be (laughs) some of my best friends for life. And that you know, Travis book is one of them. He's the bass player in the string dusters. Yeah. Andy Thorne is the band player in Salmon. Stickley is the best guitar player in the world. Right. Uh, and like, and Robin is a badass. Like we be, we started this band called broke mountain bluegrass band. And we literally, it was just like, well, what we call it. Well, we're just a broke mountain bluegrass band. And um, this is before broke back mountain came out, but anyway. Um, and so we started this band and just, you know, the, the, the acoustic side of the music kind of, kind of just crept in. It was like something about that town and like being able to play acoustic instruments and like sit on the porch and, you know, you, you can't like crank them, crank up an amp and rock all the time. So you, if you have an acoustic guitar, you can sit around and play tunes. Right. Bluegrass kind of crept in. Um, and that started Be- off.
2: Before that happened, before were you already familiar with like the old and in the way and Blue, and Jerry's bluegrass and Americana stuff, or did that turn you onto that aspect of Jerry?
0: Uh, I was, I mean, it kind of learned it at that time, maybe a little bit before, but it wasn't like a thing, you know? It was like a filler on a tape or something. And um yeah, it's like Bluegrass. It's, it's so weird because you start listening to Old In The Way. I call it Bluegrass Through The Back Door because you start listening to like a deadhead. You're like, oh, Garcia was in this band. So you listen to that band. And then you're like, oh, Grisman, Vassar Clemens, Peter Rowan. And you're like, what's this song? And all of a sudden you're back yeah, you're back at Earl Scruggs and listen to that shit. And like, you know, I mean, I, I firmly believe that like old in the way gets hardly not enough, even close to enough credit for the amount of people that they turned on to bluegrass music. Yeah, man. It's, it's amazing. Like all my friends, even like the, the bluegrass buddy, like the traditional guys, They're all just hippies that found bluegrass through Jerry. And then they moved to North Carolina and put on a suit
2: or whatever. (laughs) Um, When you now at that point, when you're in broke mountain, are you still playing guitar? No, I switched to
0: Dobro around then. Um, I went to the, we we would go to the Telluride bluegrass festival and like, um, just, you know, couldn't afford tickets. We'd camp in our friend's yards and Telluride was close to Durango and I remember I was walking through town and they, they do a little workshop stage in this, in Elks park in town. And there was a Dobro workshop and it was like Jerry Douglas, Rob, I Sally Van Meter, Mike Aldridge, Randy course, like every, everybody, you know, like, right. And I, and I literally was like, whole, like I, I was, I, I was like, that's it. That's what I'm looking for. It's the electric guitar of acoustic music. And that's what Dobro, you know, that's what I was looking for. And and I was like, it, it flattened me, man. And like and I, I went home two days later and went to and bought a Dobro and started playing six hours a day. <laughs> like that's because like acoustic flat picking guitar, like the Tony Rice, you know, that stuff, shit's hard as hell. It wasn't my thing. And then Dobro just like it just I just found it. And it was like that was the that was the instrument for me. Cause I could I could combine like the electric guitar of in my like Soul or whatever with the acoustic stuff that I was getting into. And I literally didn't even know that was an instrument. <laughs> like, it's
2: when you do that, I mean, obviously, up to this point, Garcia's had a huge influence on your playing, whether it's linearly or harmonically or whatever. But when you switch to dobro, that's a way different instrument than a guitar. It's so much more, it's more. Of, I mean, of, of, of a lyrical instrument, almost like a vo a, a singing voice. Um, so does that improvisational style that you've been working with, you know, that's based, not based but influenced by Garcia in so many ways, does that still have an effect on you and translate over to the dobro or do you kind of have to reinvent your approach and your mindset to an instrument? Um, well,
0: you know, for me, <laughs> I like I said, I've been playing trying to play like the bluegrass guitar stuff, and it was like like the longest note in bluegrass is this <laughs> And so like, so it's either a fiddle or a dobro that's like, has the soul, like, and like you said, lyrical, that's the exact word. And so that like, and like I said, the, it's the electric guitar of acoustic music. And cause, cause it has sustain, you know, it's like, uh, and so I could do the things that I was listening to and hearing before. I mean, to some level, like, the Jerry shit and the Trey shit, like my the, the stuff that influenced me. Like
2: is, is everybody in the in the band a, a dead fan? Uh
0: yeah. Um okay. I think um uh some later than others. I think um a lot of a lot of the band were are a little um a little bit younger than me. So I mean Dave, the guitar player, like he went he saw some dead shows when I say dead shows, I just like, I mean, dead show, like I have a hard time. when People are like, whatever. (laughs) Uh, But so like, and, and then some of the other guys kind of had more fish influences um, as their jam band of choice. Um, And that was like, so after the dead, I, man, I saw every fish show in 1996. (laughs) Like I went on tour and like, that was, that was the, the next improvisational thing. Because there was, you know, it was just that you know the dead was done. <laughs> like fish, fish, you know, um, it was uh, that was a really interesting thing for me to watch that transition. But like that band, like at that era, they were like evil rock and roll. <laughs> like Grateful Dead was like, you know, the, the best. They were like the happiest, most amazing thing. And these moments would happen where it's like everything blasts off. And then Fish was like this, you know, they're playing in theaters and they're like this dark, like. <laughs> yeah. But wow.
2: I want to, you know, I know we're, to, we're talking about the dead and Jerry, but you brought it up and it made me think, you know, Trey's playing. And I, for, for, in my opinion, is a little bit more. I don't know if I'm using the right words Here is a little bit more lyrical. Than Jerry, you know Jerry's running the scales a lot, but Fish has not. Fish Trey it seems like plays with a lot more sustain in certain places and hold those notes, those real long notes. Does that transfer to what you're doing on Dobro a little bit more than what Jerry's doing?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, sustain. A little, yeah, I mean, somewhat. I the, the funny thing is that the, my my two major influences are Jerry and Trey, and I can't play like either of them. <laughs> it's like it's like they're in my head, not in my hands. Like, right. But um, that
2: translates to your heart and what you put into your instrument.
0: And like, and that's, that's a, it's really funny. Cause when I talk about influences, it's like, well, I don't, I can't sound like them. Cause they're too fucking good, <laughs> like, but, but they, they affect my soul, you know, like, um, but you know, Jerry, I, I like, I really enjoy like seventies. Grateful dead is like, my favorite thing to listen to, you know, like, I mean, I, I listen to the Grateful Dead every day. Yeah. <laughs> Still, and like, like 70s Grateful Dead Jerry, like, the, it's just like this, this joyful thing, you know, like, and the more I learn about Jerry in the band and everything, like, knowing that he's just like what he's just like, you know, he's just sitting back there running scales all the time, like, He's just music is, it's just his language, Um, and you know we. One time we played the first time we played the well, I guess the Warfield.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's go. Um, we uh, we like sound checked some. We decided not to play dead tunes because it would be too typical. So we played a bunch of Jerry Band songs. <laughs> Smooth, huh?
2: <laughs> right, because he never played there.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: So, but
0: I remember, I remember going down to that. You go down to the dressing rooms, and there's like one door that says Jerry. Yeah, the purple out. door. And I was
2: like, and I like walked down there. And I was like, get the fuck everyone out. It's my like, it's my room. <laughs> yep. Hey, Jeff. Every time we play there, that's where Jeff goes. He's in that room and he sits there and he runs scales all afternoon, putting himself in that mindset of God. He was in here doing that same thing, you know. Um, when you're with with Green Sky. Uh, do you all have this? Might be a dumb question, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. Um, do you all have a specific approach to it when it comes to improvising, as far as how you're gonna work segues and key changes, or does it just kind of manifest itself?
0: No, we don't. <laughs> like to a fault. Like, <laughs> like, a lot of our, a lot of my friends' bands, like they work on that. Show. I respect that. You know, like they're probably better than us. <laughs> but like, we really we really kind of embrace the idea. I mean, really from the Grateful Dead, like that, like you just go for it and you can, you know, like if you stare over the, if you stare over the edge of the cliff, you might fucking fall. You might, (laughs) you might have a hell of a view. And like, and so I think, you know, we've always like, (laughs) it's like, okay, this song going, going into this song. And like 18 minutes later, we're like, well, how the hell are we getting to that song? (laughs) Um, But we, we don't talk about it. And, you know, I, it's interesting because I, I think we probably should like we, you know, we'd be <laughs> we'd be better if we did, but like the, it's more just like, it's it's like, <laughs> it feels kind of lazy sometimes, but it's not. It's just like, it's, I, I guess I don't I don't really think so either. But it's like it's, the idea is like, you know, imp, real improvisational music. You know, like that's where it comes from. Um,
2: you you also play for an audience who you know, the jam band audience in in general is so forgiving in those respects because much like the dead was, they know that the jam bands are out there going for it and it's not always going to work. And they're on this journey with you, with us, whoever has their, as we're trying to make that happen. So I think, you know, in the jam band world, we have the respect of the fans who know we're trying something without a net for lack of a better term to use the phrase.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I'm with you. (laughs) It's like, we, you know, like we're so lucky to have been embraced by jam band fans. Like, um, and it's right, rightfully so. We fucking jam. <laughs> like, but, but like, um, those fans are the best. Like, they, you know, like I can I can play a note, and like see people react. Like, I play a weird note, and I see the crowd be like, <laughs> like yeah. um, and. And like, you know, I think because my band, my, my buddies and I, like, we're, we're completely convinced to just follow each other down the rabbit hole, you know, like almost to a fault, you know, like I'll play, I'll play something like I'll play, I'll be jamming and be like deep in some weird ass jam and I'll play something wrong or that, that I think is wrong. And the whole band goes with me. And I want to be like, no, 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 <laughs> no, I didn't mean to do that, you know, but it's like, it's just, it's just going for it. um And I mean, that's what I learned from
2: the well, dead. You know? And that's where some of the best shit can show up too. Yeah. You for know, sure. <laughs> for sure. um let's, I want to talk about the songwriting process for you all for just a minute. You know, mm-hmm. the, like the dead, you know, so many jam bands out there do it the way the dead did it where they, you know, they're composing and they're constructing a song. And they kind of let it simmer in a live setting before they take it into the studio. Do you guys approach it that way or do you write first and then take it to the stage next?
0: We, um, we, we write for the studio, like we write for albums. Um, and I think that, you know, uh, I take a little bit of pride in this that like historically jam bands have shitty songs (laughs) and like, um, you know, I mean, I mean, like we're all friends, but like, but like historically, you know? And so I think maybe the bluegrass thing has a little bit to do with it. But like we write, I feel like we make really good albums. Um, and I, I don't think anyone really listens to them, but like songs on albums and like making a record, making a collection of songs is like, that is going to last forever. You know, like, um, at the end of the day, in, in 50, 20, 60 years, when I'm dead and gone, like, you know, some kid is going to get on Spotify or whatever, and he's not going to go to Archive and, and, like, listen to Green Sky. Certain people will. It might work that way. But someone is going to find Green Sky albums and be like, in my opinion, they're going to be like, damn, that's re- interesting, cool, creative, weird adventurous music and like so so albums are really important to me so we write we write and then we we record those songs and we take a really long time to record because it's fun and we we get weird as hell and like we don't play the songs until they come out and i have no idea why it's just sort of like we just decided like this is the way it is you know
2: so do you when you're doing that when you and i'm I'm assuming everybody's contributing their musical ideas to it, but when you're doing that, do you have the thought of a jam in mind of where it's going to go and how it's going to go? Or does that just make, come by and come to yourselves naturally once you start playing that song live?
3: Well,
0: recently in the last couple of albums, we've sort of, well, um, we sort of started to make the last album, all for money, (laughs) terrible title, all for money. Good job. (laughs) We, um. We started we tried to make it more like a, a set, like we put the jams in the album. Right on. Usually what we do is there's like kind of in a little implied jam. So it'll be like two minutes or like one minute of like you know, a jam. But it kind of wrap it up quickly. And so it's like it's there. We all know that it's gonna be there. When people listen to if you know if you know the band and you listen to that little section, you're like, oh, that's gonna go off. Right. Uh, but you know, for albums, we tend to try and keep it concise just for the sake of like the person that's never heard us. You know? Right.
2: Smart. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh who does who does the right? I mean, you, I'm sure like I said, you all contribute musically. Uh who does the who, who writes the lyrics? Uh Paul and Dave write most
0: of them. Uh, Paul's the main pair. Dave's a guitar player. Um, but we all, you know, recently Daval, our bass player has been writing killer songs. I write some songs. You know but the, the majority of the songs are paul um and he's i mean he's one of my favorite songwriters in the damn world <laughs> like uh, and dave's a killer songwriter as well it's like um you know words are the shit like yeah. and that's one of the, one of my takeaways from the grateful dead is like lyrical emotional content you know like and that's that's the deal you know like make people feel um and and like you know what i'm saying it's like
2: i do because what what first got me into the dead wasn't the music it was the lyrics you know i mean i'm one, not sure the music was amazing but I'll, i'm you know i'm a teenager hearing this music and i'm hearing words to live your life by you know
0: which, which ones which ones fuck you up first which lyrics
2: i think the one that first got me And not necessarily the first dead song I heard, but the first lyric that really got me was fairly well. let your your life proceed by its own design. Mm -hmm. I was just like, fuck. Yeah, man. Fuck all you. I'm going to do it the way I want to. And it's going to come out the way it's supposed to, you know, that one just jumped at me Um, these days. And it's kind of where I got the name of the podcast. But for me, especially when I'm on stage playing those songs, the line that works for me is people joining hand in hand while the music plays the band. I mean, that is my, that's, that's, be best, one, one. that's my best moment of the night, no matter what's happening in one of our shows. If we play that song and that lyric comes up, yeah. that's my happy place. You know, that's gonna be one of the best things to
0: play drums. <laughs>
2: <It's> like, put it up, People ask me what my favorite song is to play and in interviews and stuff and music, uh, the music never stopped is one of them for sure, because yeah. you got a great groove to start it. But then you got this great jam in six later, so you're changing up the time. It can go anywhere. It's got lyrics that don't stop inspiring. It's, it's probably my favorite Grateful Dead song to play, without a doubt. Green Sky, you guys cover dead tunes. You've even done some all Grateful Dead sets over the years. How do you all approach interpreting that music? And what I mean is, do you just stick to the tunes that would lend themselves to, to the traditional bluegrass instrumentation? or do you take some of those bigger jam vehicles and put your spin on them.
0: We, want. we just pick ones we like. <laughs> you know, i mean it sounds silly but yeah. You know, i mean we yeah, it's like the ones we want to play. i mean you know, also the easy ones prefer <laughs> like we don't play we don't play help slip frank. <laughs> like but um, but you know i think a lot of um a lot of like bluegrass bands We'll play. I know you rider, right? right? But for us, like, okay, that's cool. But you can't, like, you, you can't play rider without China. <laughs> like, you know, it's like you got to play China rider if you're gonna play. I know you rider. You got to play China. Cat. <laughs> it's right. like it kind of makes sense on that level. Um, and then, you know, it, yeah, we just kind of pick the songs that are cool, like Cassidy like the lyrical nature of it, it just kind of it lends itself well
2: there you go
0: and somehow that we ended up playing the other one out of that and like you know it just kind of gets it just goes that way um
2: so do you stay away from the the more bluegrass the ones that will lend themselves the uncle the river that kind of stuff do you stay away from those
0: uh not by choice just kind of, yeah i mean totally it's just like it's kind of obvious
2: <laughs> right right um if and, and you guys cover a bunch of other stuff too, I mean, I was looking around. And I mean, I've seen you guys, if I'm not mistaken, I saw you put in the Dark Star Jubilee one year and I got to watch you. Um, mm. I don't remember, was that a late night show? Uh, I, I don't think so. I don't know. I can't remember if you were before us or after us. I do remember watching though, before we were, like right before you guys, right before us. Okay. Um, we were,
0: yeah, we had just come from another festival, and we were all freaking twisty. and mean, we like, yeah, we and <laughs> we're like, all
2: right that's, that's a, a tough weekend for people. Cause they're like going awesome. in either direction. They might be going Del Fest, Jubilee summer camp or summer camp Jubilee Del Fest.
0: I love that stuff personally. Like that's when you kind of lose. It's like, you're tired and you just play music. You know, it's like, yeah. I don't, it's like, it's cool. It's like, cool. I'm exhausted. And like, there's a field full of deadheads. Like let's get after it. It's like, it's like the, it's like what you
2: want <laughs> for me. Um, I want to we can talk about the dead again. The, the, the guys in the band, you guys don't often play with the drummer, but I know that Mickey and Billy have played with you at least one time. Yeah, yeah, tell me about that a little bit. We were actually at
0: it, w- it, would, it wouldn't have been Dark Star Jubilee, it was um, what's the other festivals at the same site? Um,
2: oh, they have um, uh, think, uh, uh, the, uh what the hell, the workout? You no, know, I think I think it was actually maybe well, it might have been the
0: workout, it might have been Jubilee. Anyway, so Mickey is there with his uh, rhythm uh, going to school. So it's Mickey in schools. And, Mickey
2: Heartband, right, yeah.
0: And so um, I know I, I met schools before. Like, we're, we're friends. We talk about music and stuff. And uh, I saw Mickey, and I was like, hey, man, um, my name's Anders. I play in Green Sky. And he was basically like, couldn't give two shits. But that's fine. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't either, right? And I was like, just want to say hi. And then, um, three days later, uh, the Mickey Hart band is playing at the intersection in Grand Rapids. Grand
2: Rapids. Yeah. We play there.
0: Close to close to where we're from. And, um, they ended up calling us, they ended up calling Paul and I to come play, to come to like announce that we we're going to sit in like may, I don't know if sell more tickets or whatever. Like, for some reason they wanted us to be there. And I was like, well, shit. And I was like, hell yeah, I'll go play. And, um, and like that time I was like, what up? Hey Mickey. He was like, awesome. and super cool. And, um, we're talking about all the music and stuff. And, and so we had met there a little bit and then I, I played with, um, uh, uh, and Papa Molly. Like I opened for them and somewhere in Colorado and like Creutzman like we we were friend we kind of talked for a while about dobro because he's his Hawaiian he's like he wants he wanted to learn about dobro he's like will you teach me dobro and I'm like fuck <laughs> like yeah no problem yeah, yeah will you we can I talk about this in a podcast later <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> right. um, so and I remember like looking back at him so we we sat in um, for like friend of the devil and you know it goes got to is like. Uh, I guess was the faster. It was faster. Uh, like got two reasons why I cry. Wait, so that first one names C- M- minority- jakie... Grieves- it and she's my heart's light. And I turn <ahlen-> back and go, I hit I hit those hits so hard, and he didn't hit them. And I was like, I was like, <inaudible-> bro, man, I was like, dude, like, what about seventy two? Those
2: are the hits, man. Come on.
0: But he, but he looked at me, and goes, he looked at me, he's like, yeah, I know. He's like, he's like, he looked at the bands and like, the band doesn't know it. Like, <laughs> And, and so we talked about later. And then, So eventually our, our festival, Hoxieville in Michigan, like we were, I, we asked Corey to sit in We're like, hey man, Cause the, it was the rhythm devil. So they're, they're, drum rat. They're two, they're the fucking beast. The whole shit was set up behind us. Right. And we, so we set up and they were playing after us. And like the whole thing is set up and I'm like, Billy, like, Hey, do you want to maybe play with us? And he's like, well, you know, I'm playing with Keller. I got this other thing going on. I'm, like kind of busy. Like, and I was like, yeah, no worries, whatever. If you want to, just let me know. And then we were about to go on stage and he comes up and he goes, Hey, I really want to. And I was like, hell yeah. So <laughs> thanks for asking this. I don't get to talk about this very much. Um, and so he, co- I was like, all right, let's play China Rider. And so we start playing and like Mickey Knows that I'm the one that invited Billy. And so, like, I'm looking back at Billy and he's like hitting, like, getting, checking the shit out. And I see Mickey peeking through the curtains and he's looking at me. And he goes, he points at me and goes, he's like, hey, it's like, hey, can I play? Can I play too? And I literally was just, I froze. <laughs> like, you know, because, like, think about me, this freaking kid that, <laughs> like, and so I froze and Mickey thought that I meant no because <laughs> i just couldn't make i couldn't and then he was like okay and i was like no no come, come play and like and so all of a sudden i'm looking i'm looking back at the those two guys like and i'm like i turn around i'm like about to try and i'm like okay who, i guess i should count it off and like i was like one two and bill's like bubble trickle boy like just crushes it. And all of a sudden there's like a freight train behind our band. You know, we're, we're bluegrass instruments, you know, there's like not a lot of sound on stage. And all of a sudden that freight train of the Grateful Dead, those drummers are like behind us, just killing it. I remember looking back and being like in the jam and being like, looking back and be like, okay, here's the part you go. And I was like trying to cue them. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> Here it goes. He's like, I'm like, hey, here you come. He, he like shakes his head and he's like, yeah, whatever, man. He goes, <laughs> <laughs> shit out of the drums, like literally just crushed the hell out of it. And like, it was, it was so, it was so funny and amazing. And like,
2: it's interesting that you mentioned what it was. Cause the first time I ever played with Billy, when he sat in with us was in God, I think 2002 at the Oregon country fair. And so what do you want to play? And he said, let's put you on a rider. And this was the first thing we ever played with him was China Rider, and it was the fastest China Rider I've ever played. He he just went, man. He took off. Yeah, like,
0: yeah that that was a moment. And then we got to play with Phil, and like that that just that wrecked me, man. Like where'd that happen? At Terrapin, so at at his place. Oh, you mentioned that
2: man. you you were you had a gig there, and he came and sat in. Is that what it was?
0: It was a it was like kind of an underplay for us, and we were like, well, we'll we'd love to play but like we'll can Phil will we'll fill play with us and we sort of like set it up you know like kind of like that was the deal and um i sent him the, i remember sending him a set list that was like the, like deadhead to deadhead it was the most badass set list <laughs> like, and it was like you know everything into everything back into everything back into our songs and phil was like yeah no he
2: yeah, had no but then
0: he also, like, he learned our song. Like, he wanted to play our stuff. And, like.
2: That's really cool.
0: I remember I was I was sitting there. So he was next to me. And, like, I'm looking at his iPad on the on the stand. All of a sudden, like, our song, Don't Lie, pops up and charted out in Phil's handwriting. <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit. Like, this, they're recording. Uh, so for everybody listening out there, deadheads, if you go to YouTube and look up Green Sky Phil, like, Terrapin. Uh, the second set, there's two tunes of ours. And then Phil sits in and is probably the, like, I don't listen to our band much, but it's the best.
2: How it's, validating it's, is that man to have him want to come in and play your tunes and take the time and the effort to learn it and have it charted up and ready to go with you guys.
0: He wrecked house. He was just like, literally like he flattened our stuff. And like, it was unbelievable. And it, I need you to stand next to me, man. Like, and like, God, he just, we, we made like, I mean, he and I made music together. Like we were standing next to each other like there's slow jams. And I would like play stuff and he would like play off me. And it was like, it's, it, yeah, it was, like literally like the highlight of my
2: musical life. Like that's awesome, man.
0: It wasn't, just, it wasn't just bullshit. Like sit in, it was like real, real music. Like I, w- I would play things and he would like, Send like the counterpoint. and I'd be like, oh, and this. And I play this, and you play that. i would be like, I <sighs> had to like look away. <laughs>
2: like, <laughs> That's so awesome for you, man. I'm so happy to hear that. Um, thank you for sharing that and all of these stories. Before before I let you go though, I gotta you gotta take part in this with me. I do this with every one of my guests. Um, I call it the lightning round, but it really doesn't end up going that fast, but we'll try. Um <laughs> so we'll just go right through them. Your first Grateful Dead show. Uh, 93 spectrum your favorite grateful dead show you don't have to be there just your favorite show
0: uh uh tinley park uh golden gate park 74 8 or whatever
2: studio recordings or live recordings
0: next question you know the answer
2: <laughs> <laughs> some people say both and a lot of people pick live dead because it's got both it's the studio overdubbed onto the live stuff
0: that's important but uh live live recordings like i don't I'm
3: sure
2: yeah just All right, going back to the studio, favorite dead album.
0: Mm. Terrapin Is Terrapin the album or is that on shake is that is Terrapin the album or is that on shakedown? Terrapin's no, the That's it, al- the album. Yeah. Has that
2: whole big suite at the end with the string section and sure, sure. um favorite non-grateful dead album, any genre, any time period?
0: <sighs> um hmm, uh that desert island album man that go-to yeah um that's a great question uh oh the album uh let's see um all right the band is called strength in numbers and it's called the telluride sessions
2: what kind of music is it
0: it's a uh, bluegrass it's acoustic instruments
2: all right strength and numbers i'll look it i'm gonna write it down
0: the best man the best drummer in the world is sam bush <laughs> He plays mandolin.
2: <laughs> yeah. Favorite yeah. color. Black. First job.
3: Um,
0: first job. A bus boy at Glyfty's restaurant in Newtown Square, Pennsylvania. All right.
2: Favorite venue to play. Mm. Red Rocks. Common answer, but certainly warranted. I'd mind too. Uh, fa- All right. Or like the stage at the like the right on favorite venue or favorite uh, best city for a day off. Best city for a day off.
3: Um, uh, let's see,
2: best city for a day off would be. I'm gonna go New York City. New York City also a popular answer. i was never off there. <laughs> uh, first car,
0: um, Ford Bronco two.
2: Current car.
0: Uh, Toyota 4Runner.
2: Book you were reading. Uh, book I'm reading. Uh,
0: oh, um, uh, the autobiography of Darkstar Orchestra.
2: Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Penned by me. <laughs> uh, any magazine subscriptions? I don't know. And uh, the first trip you'll take when this madness is over. LSD. That is the best answer anybody has ever given on that one, man. <laughs> right on Anders. Thank you so much for sharing and sharing your stories and your insight about the dad. I really appreciate you spending some time with me today.
0: Yeah, this is really fun. I, I feel like I just, I feel like I needed to talk about this on
2: some level. <laughs> you know, like, I love it, man. That makes me feel really good. Seriously. That's awesome.
0: It was like, I I just wanted to <laughs> like I wanted I just wanted to have someone ask me these questions <laughs> like I love, I love, really that's, love
2: music and, yeah. that oh, makes but, me feel really really good seriously oh, man I'm excited <laughs> <laughs> um when do you guys go back out you're gonna start hitting it again soon yeah
0: um, I'm flying to Colorado tomorrow um, to do a couple of duo shows with Paul and um we're doing two shows at planet bluegrass in uh lions and then after that we like may we're starting to play some you know driving socially distanced
2: yep probably a lot of the same venues we will be at yeah i'm excited i
0: it's it's kind of like it's weird It's, it's like i can't believe that we're
2: almost there it's like i know it felt so good to go out last weekend and actually work safe travels to you man and i'm glad you're getting back at it um seriously in all seriousness it's been a pleasure to have you man thank you so much yeah, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it, too. Um, right on. That's Anders Beck from Blue, uh, Green Sky Bluegrass. Thank you, my friend.
0: Thank you, dude.
2: Well, that brings us to the end of another episode. I'd like to thank Anders Beck for being so generous with his time. I'd also like to thank Andy Coe for being here, and I'd like to acknowledge my sponsors, whom I could not do this without. Sarno Music Solutions and Blue Jade Audio, The Clean Store, the Authenticity Academy, and Grateful Sweats. Thank you all very much for your support. If you enjoyed the show and would like to support the cause, please consider a monthly Patreon subscription that offers some great bonus content every week, or you can show your love with a one-time contribution. Get info about this and everything related to the podcast at our new website, brand new website, www.themusicplaystheband.net. Any love is much appreciated as we try and keep this show rolling. The music plays the band is produced by myself and the production and songwriting team Brothers Lazaroff right here in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find out more about them at www.brotherslazaroff.com. The opening and segue music you are hearing are remixes of portions of DSO drum segments that are produced by my drumming partner Dino English. I will be back again in two weeks on May 20th with episode number 13, when my guest will be guitarist and songwriter Chris Jacobs. If you aren't familiar with Chris, check him out ahead of time and tune in for a conversation that I know every fan of The Grateful Dead will enjoy. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and please stay vigilant. You know, we're playing these outdoor shows now, but we need to keep things heading in the right direction, and it's going to take everyone's efforts to make that happen. Thanks for being
3: here.